Welcome to Deal Closers with Annette Tali, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here is your host, Annette Tali. Welcome to another episode of Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Tali, and my guest today is Yona Wise. Welcome, Yona. Hello, Annette. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to have you. This is a topic today. We're going to talk about cost segregation. And this is a topic that I'm so excited to learn about because I have a six unit that I bought uh, in Florida about a year ago. So now this is the first time that I'm going to do taxes. So I want to gauge if, if this is a good option for me to do cost segregation. Uh, okay. So let me tell you a little bit about Jonah. He is a powerhouse with property owners tax savings. As business director of Madison Specs, a national cost segregation leader, he has assisted clients in saving tens of millions of dollars on taxes through cost segregation. He has a background in teaching and a passion for real estate and helping others. He is a real estate investor and host of the podcast Wise Advice. Welcome. So tell me, how, how did you get into investing? Because I love to get advice. Uh, from investors? So it's been uh, really about five years ago. I knew almost nothing about real estate. And I really, I was a teacher and I really wanted to learn about real estate. I really, not necessarily real estate, I wanted to do something, you know, and I wanted to try to find it, branching out to find a different profession, something that would just, you know, kind of bring a little income. I had a bunch of friends that were involved in real estate and it just, kind of fell in my lap something that um, you know I, I I'm a lifetime learner so I love to learn and that's part of being a teacher and I just want to learn everything everything I started learning about you know bigger pockets and started learning about real estate in general I just wanted to learn more so I started as a commercial mortgage broker just to learn all of the ins and outs of commercial real estate um, you know, from that perspective, then I got my broker's license to learn the residential side and try to find deals and did a few fix and flips. And that kind of was a really, I call them fix and flops, right? Because they, they didn't really work out that well. And, and then, you know, over the past few years, being so involved in the commercial real estate world in so many different ways and interacting and networking with people in the multifamily industry, I've just been drawn to multifamily investing and, you know, going right now into, you know, before this situation with the, you know, the pandemic, we were looking at uh, several deals in the Southeast, uh, larger multifamily deals with some partners. So I'm really excited to kind of get my feet wet in, you know, for kind of at the beginning of this new kind of page, this new chapter of multifamily investing after having learned for so many years, just jumping in. Awesome. All right. So let's talk about cost segregation. So for people that don't know what a cost segregation is, can you please give us a little bit of a summary? Sure. Absolutely. Now, just to be, you know, kind of bad, take a step back to understand what cost segregation is, we have to know what depreciation is. Because cost segregation is a weird name for just like an enhanced version of depreciating your property, which means maximizing the tax deductions that you can take, or the IRS allows you to take, 
because you own a commercial real estate property. And now when I say commercial, I mean anything that is not your personal residence. So that can include multifamily, it can include single family, it doesn't matter. It just means that it's not your personal residence. Um, because that you don't get depreciation. Now depreciation means by definition, something goes down in value. But from a tax perspective, it just means it's a tax deduction the IRS gives you based on the fact or the principle rather that things go down in value and your property that you just paid a million dollars for, let's say, based on that price that you paid for it is now going to decrease in value, at least on paper from a tax perspective, over the next 27 and a half years. Now, the IRS gave this kind of random number, 27 and a half years. And then if it's a commercial property, not residential, it's 39 years. So that means that you can now take a tax write-off, deduct from your income taxes straight away, every single year for the next 27 and a half years, a small amount, and that's called depreciation. Okay, that's a deduction that IRS gives you, straight in your tax return, deduct that right away from your income, and then you only tax on the remaining amount. Cost segregation is breaking down or segregating that cost of the building that you just bought into different categories that actually depreciate at faster lives. So if you want to, you know, just for a couple of examples, you know, things in the building, um, the main structure may depreciate at a much longer length at 27 and a half years, but things like furniture and fixtures and appliances and, and things that are movable property actually depreciate on a five-year schedule, which means if you can determine the cost or the value of those individual assets, you can now write those off at a much faster life. In a nutshell, that's what cost variation is. Breaking down, segregating out the costs, and taking those, um, you know, kind of segregating out the depreciation deductions into different uh, years, different lives. Awesome. And can anybody do a, a cost segregation and if this a specialty? Yeah, I mean, anyone can, can do it. it. It requires a professional, requires an engineer. The IRS has a requirement that engineers actually need to come to the property. Uh, take, there's a huge list of things the IRS requires to have a quality cost segregation study done. So it can't be done by anyone. Um, anyone can take advantage of it. But even though it's an accounting method, even accountants can't do it because it requires that engineering, requires firms that specialize in this um, to do this. So these engineers have like a special certification? It's not a, it's a certification per se, but it's just the experience and the, um, the expertise in, this, in the tax code and in the um, engineering of the property. Awesome. So let's talk about a, a real example, like so people can understand. Let's say you buy a building for a million dollars and like what's, talk, talk to me with numbers, like what can a cost segregation do for like, let's say a, a million dollar building? Okay, so let's break it down, right? You have a million dollar building, right? So the first thing is you have to allocate a certain amount for land because land does not depreciate. So, so let's say 15%, it's a small amount. That's usually what it is. You're left with 850,000 of what's called your basis. That amount is gonna be your tax write-off. 
Now, on your regular depreciation, if you were to divide that up by 27 and a half years, you'd be getting about, you know, just do the simple math, about $30,000 a year in a tax deduction. Okay, and that's great. That's just straight off your income tax. So cost segregation says like this, the engineer comes and identifies, let's say 20%, which is pretty average, um, of the building actually depreciates on faster rates. Okay, so 20% of 850,000, just some math, about $170,000. Okay, $170,000 of extra depreciation deductions that now you can take in the first five years. So if you, instead of $30,000 of depreciation every single year, you now take 170 divided by five, it's about an extra $55,000 or so, approximately. So you're talking about $85,000 of deductions instead of 30,000. So simple math, um, a very simplified version of that, but that's, that's really how it works. So if in, in simple way, so if you, let's say, made that year you know, $200,000 in your job, as a W-2, but then you have this property that you bought and you get this, you know, $80,000 worth of depreciation, then you can deduct it from your earned income, right? So then you only pay taxes on the difference. Is that correct? So, not exactly. Not exactly. <laughs> not exactly. So here's how it works. Um, so, passive, uh, real estate is considered passive income. Okay. okay. Depreciation is considered what's called a passive deduction. Okay. Now there are really two categories when we talk about passive deductions. If you are an active real estate professional, you're put into one box. And if you're not an active real estate professional, you put it in another box. Generally speaking, the passive deductions can be used to offset the passive income. So from any of your real estate holdings, you can now use that depreciation or that extra depreciation, that accelerated depreciation to offset all that. However, if you're a real estate professional, you can now use that income or excuse me, that depreciation deduction to now offset any income whatsoever. So that would apply to if you had a W-2 as well, or even if your spouse had a W-2, you can now use those depreciation to offset both of your income. Amazing. Yes. And I heard about this uh, just last week and I just didn't think about it. So let's go back to that. So if you are a real estate professional, then you can take all this deduction. But if you are not, uh, then you can only uh, deduct the income from the property. You can deduct the depreciation can offset the income from the property. The property yeah. only. Okay. So if you made hundred thousand dollars a year on the income of the property then you can deduct these passive uh, deductions from exactly passive income exactly. Excellent. Excellent. Perfect. so is there a kind of like a formula or an easy way to um, to evaluate if a property that you own or the based on the income of the property um, if it's worth because I know that uh, cost segregation, you have to use a specialized company, so it, it has mm -hmm. a cost. So when sure. is there like a threshold when it's worth to, you, to go through this process to reap the rewards? There's always gonna be benefit, um, but kind of my rule of thumb is if you, if you purchase it for over a million dollars, it's a no-brainer. I mean, there's so much tax benefit there. Now, 
it, it does depend on the more than anything on the purchase price of the building because that's going to establish what that basis is again how much you can actually write off but it's also going to depend on like you mentioned your income okay because if you don't have income from a property let's say you bought vacant land okay or you bought a building that's going under you know rent major renovations and there's no income or your tenants aren't paying whatever it is right you have no income you don't need extra deductions that aren't going to be utilized okay unless you are a real estate professional and that can go to, to other uses so my general it's on over a million dollars no brainer under a half a million dollars usually doesn't make a lot of sense um it can in certain situations if you need it but you know the, the price the cost of the study you, know, you have to look at what is the actual after-tax value after tax benefit because again these deductions are just offsetting your income tax that's not creating you know it's not giving you a refund what that is is lowering your tax liability which is going to give you an after tax you know net value benefit from that so that's kind of the rule of thumb i use however we always our firm madison specs we always use um we give a free estimate okay up front to show even before you would to, to do it, to do a consideration study, just to show you what your potential tax savings would be. So you can see upfront already what you're even getting into. Right, so let's say I would like to, I have a property and I am not sure if it's worth for me, my situation, because it's gonna depend on mm -hmm. anybody, like every different person is gonna be different. The same property could have a different effect on each one's taxes, right? So let's say, I what do I need to send to you in order to start this process? And, and I'm assuming that once you give me your recommendation, then I have to talk to my own accountant to see if that will help my situation. Right, exactly. So the few things that we'll need are um, the address of the property. Really, our, our engineers will, will take a look at the property itself and be able to break down what the potential tax savings are going to be, what, what a consolidation would come and do on such a property. So they're going to look at um, the address uh, because they're going to pull public records and find out the unit count and the uh, square footage, you know, number of parking spaces, the unit breakdown, uh, et cetera, the year it's built, all that information they'll need. But from usually, usually we just need the address, the purchase price, which is going to again establish that basis and the closing date of the property when you actually purchased it because that's also going to establish when your depreciation starts it starts from the day you placed it in service usually that's going to be the day that you actually um you bought it okay so i have i have a couple of questions here so i know that you know it starts when you put it in service but i i, right. I I think I also heard that you don't have to necessarily do it this year. Like if you don't do it in a couple of years, it could be uh, retroactive. So you can apply the, those. The cost irrigation, you can, yes, you can actually do it retroactively, which means if you don't need, you know, you don't take the tax deductions this year, um, you can retroactively next year or the year after, you can go back without even amending any tax returns. You can now go back and get those tax benefits that you missed, meaning get the accelerated depreciation that you missed in those first two years. And you can go back, you know, even as far as five, 10 years, but you know, in those first, those years, you can now get those tax benefits, um, those extra deductions that you missed. Oh, wow. 
So that, that is good. So if one year, like if you decide not to do it because this year is not worth it, but the next year you, um, you have a lot of income, then you can do it then, the cost exactly. of on the second, third year, and then apply the benefits uh, backwards. You don't apply the benefits backwards because you didn't have the tax liability backwards. But what you, you just do is use you all get, the benefits now. You just exactly you get those those extra tax deductions that you could have taken then. You get to take them now. Oh, okay. All right. So tell me about the bonus depreciation. <laughs> um, so yeah, bonus depreciation is an amazing part of the tax reform, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, a couple of years ago that allows for any, any property that was placed in service after you know, a certain date in 2017 can now uh, be eligible for a 100% bonus depreciation. That means that it's an option. Once you do a conservation study and you establish what all those depreciation categories are, anything that depreciates or has a schedule under 20 years, Okay, so that's everything that we're going to reallocate in a conservation study, five-year property, which is personal property, and 15-year property, which is land improvements. Okay, that's like landscaping and parking lot, pavement, stuff like that. All those costs can now be taken in the first year as a first-year tax write-off. So instead of spreading it out over five years or 15 years, those extra tax deductions, you can actually now accelerate the entire amount into year number one. So that's called 100% bonus depreciation, and that creates a huge, I mean, just incredible, huge, massive tax deduction. If you go back to our example of the you know, $170,000 of extra tax deductions, you can now option up to take that all in the, in the first year. Wow. But you have to make a lot of money to make use of all that deduction too. So you, yeah, exactly. you kind of, but it gives you the flexibility to, to use it, not that first year, right? It, it accumulates. It carries forward. It carries forward. You, yeah, it means if you can't benefit from it, if you can't utilize it this year, you can carry it forward. It, you can use those deductions next year. You How long? That. Unlimited? It carries forward indefinitely until they're used up or, or until you sell the property, whichever comes first. Okay. When you sell the property, that now um, it gets released. All right, and I just remember the question that I had in my head. So I was gonna okay. ask you, why does the price that you paid for the property counts? For example, like if you buy it at a discount and the property is worth more the day that you buy it, how does that affect um, the segregation? So again, the, the depreciable basis, the amount that you can actually write off is dependent solely on the purchase price. Okay, the amount that was spent. So even if you bought it totally discounted, unfortunately, you can't take a higher tax deduction on that. Um, and even if you go and refinance the property in a couple of years. That was my next change. question. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't like, change. <laughs> right. So unfortunately, it doesn't change the original um, tax basis that you can now take as a write-off. Uh, okay. On, on, the, on the flip side of that, the benefit you know, one of the main benefits is that, you know, the IRS allows you to write off the entire value of your property over that amount of time, even if you didn't even put that money down, meaning you're financing the property. You're not paying out of pocket the entire million dollars, but you can now take a million dollar write-off. And that goes to, to say as well as even if you, you know, got seller financing, for example, let's say you didn't put any money down and the seller was financing it, but you bought it, you can now take the tax write-off 
um, starting from the day that you placed it in service when you bought it. Wow. And you also mentioned renovations. So if you bought a property um, and you have a lot of CapEx, so you're putting a lot of money into it the first year, and then you don't have a lot of income, right? Because you're, mm -hmm. you've been spending this money. Um, so there is no um, passive income that year. So I guess it just carries forward. Yeah, correct. Now, there is something else that has to do with the renovations, which is that that is the one case where your basis will actually change, okay? If it's discounted, that's not gonna make a difference. If you refinance, it's not gonna make a difference. But if you do renovations and you actually add more money into the property, that money that you're adding into remodeling or renovating the property now gets added to the basis and that money, that amount can now be depreciated as well which means you can now take that as a tax write-off. And if you do a cost segregation on the amount of renovations, um, you can now accelerate that and take that as 100% bonus depreciation. So let's say, for example, you, you, know, you bought a property for a million dollars and then you put another $500,000 into renovating it. Assuming the majority of that's not going into major structural components, it's going into maybe, let's say you're replacing the kitchens in all the units. Maybe you're you know, retiling the floor, put, tearing out the carpeting and putting vinyl flooring. In. Let's say you're you know, paving a new parking lot, right? All of those things are actually, those things that I mentioned are accelerated costs, which means you can now take the money spent on those assets and accelerate that, take those deductions earlier on. Got you. Right, so all that... Um money that you put in the business, you're kind of getting it back because you are upsetting your income and paying less taxes on that. Exactly. Got you. All right. That is amazing. So the bonus depreciation allows you to, to get a hundred percent, right? That's what you said. Wow. Yeah. Well, That's big. It's huge. Especially if you have a huge building. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. So, I mean, a lot of people are taking advantage of this because it just, it basically negates any possible tax liability that you would have whatsoever. And especially if you're a real estate professional and you have income from other sources or your spouse's income from other sources, you can take all that massive deductions and use that to offset all of that income. Wow. So what others, what other advantages um, do you see? Because sometimes I hear investors using the cost segregation as part of their strategy to acquire buildings. Like they, they use it for the under, underwriting, like uh, they count that, okay, we're going to do the cost segregation and they, you know, use it in their numbers to, um, to work the numbers. Like, so they, they kind of calculated uh, their returns and, and with the um, cost segregation in mind. Right. So what they're doing when they're doing that is looking at not only what the NOI of the property, not only what the net operating income is going to be, but they're going to be looking at what the after-tax benefit is going to be. Okay. Because the net operating income is showing you what your net, you know, what the money that you're getting. Now you're still going to have to pay taxes on that money, but if you can create a, a kind of schedule or create a, um, you know, an Excel sheet that shows that money's coming into our pocket, that's cash. Yeah, we may have to pay a 35% income tax or whatever it is on that later on. But if I can show that 
all that's going to be extra depreciation is going to offset all of that income, then all of that net operating income is literally its full cash flow, which then can then be used to reinvest, can be used to you know put back into the property, whatever it is. So that's really the advantage why people use it in underwriting, um, especially from a lending perspective. It can be beneficial when the lender wants to see what are your cash reserves, what's your cash flow, not just what's the NOI, um, because you still have to pay taxes on that. But if you could show, here's my real cash flow, that's actually might help increase your chances of getting a loan because you're you know, showing that you have more income uh, that's going to be coming in. Not necessarily more income, but more cash flow. So let's say if, if you are an investor and you're investing in a, in a um, syndication and you put 100000 uh, for the you know the purchase of a ten million dollar property, so mm -hmm. you would be expecting let's say an eight percent return on your hundred thousand dollars, but now with this cost segregation, you could be expecting a better return, correct? Because the taxable income that you're getting, um, the passive income is going to be uh, less, right? Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. The taxable income, I mean, the, the, ink, the taxable income is definitely going to be less and therefore it's going to compound your returns. Right. Your, um, so your returns going to be higher because of it. Exactly. The IRR is definitely going to be higher uh, over the course of the ownership for sure. Okay. Uh, so what happens after the 27 years when you own the property? If you keep it, if it, you're a person that buys and holds. Yeah. You know, if you're holding for 27 years, you know, more power to you, you know, <laughs> God bless and, and you should be great. The real benefit, you know, obviously, let's just even look at it a little more in depth. What happens after five years, right? We're taking these five-year property and we're accelerating, you know, I mentioned before 20%, let's say, mm -hmm. of the property into the first five years. What happens after five years? You're still holding it. Right. So what you've done is you've taken 20% of the depreciation and taken that all up front in the first year or the first five years. So from year six onwards, you're only going to be, you know, left with 80% of the depreciation, which is still going to be spread out every year over the 27 years. So in our example, instead of 30,000 a year, we moved it up to 85,000 a year for the first five years. And then if from year six onwards, instead of 30,000, it's going to drop down to about 25 or 26,000. That's basically how that works. After it's fully depreciated, 27 years, that's it. You're, you're done. You no longer get those tax deductions. Um, so the real you know, beneficiary is going to be someone who's not just looking at a one property. You know, we're talking real estate investors who are looking at potentially buying several properties, buying every year or you know, several, you know, every, every year or every other year, whatever it is, continually creating income and creating those extra tax deductions to just kind of keep your income, you know, and increase that exponentially. So you are compounding that deduction. Like if you keep buying one property and doing a cost segregation, you just continue that ball rolling, right? Because exactly. you get a new deduction and then the next year you buy another property and then you get a new deduction. So your income is always going to be, your taxable income is always going to be less than what you are really producing. Exactly, exactly. So and it, many, you know, many times less to, to none. Yeah, amazing. 
it's an amazing strategy. So, so also it kind of, you know, after your building is depreciated, it's not giving you any benefits tax wise anymore, right? You can still have the cash flow, but now it's going to be a cash flow that is going to be taxable, right? All of it. Exactly. Which is why I mentioned that when you're, the reason why I mentioned that when you're looking at more than one property, again, the depreciation is not just per property. The depreciation comes to you as an individual and that those deductions can be used to offset all the income from all of your properties. Even if you're not a real estate professional, depreciation can offset any income from any property that you own. So like I said, if you just have one property, that's it. You're stuck. You have the depreciation with that. When it's done, you're done. But if you have more than one property, even if the depreciation runs out on property A, the depreciation from property B can now be used to offset that income still. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So if you just have one property, you could also sell it once you have it all fully depreciated and then buy another one. If you don't want, if you're not an investor that is going to keep buying, uh, but you could, you know, um, buy another one and then start depreciation that depreciating that one. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Wow. This is mind blowing because it, you are making your income, your taxable income lower, which means that you are keeping more money. And then with that money, you can keep buying property. So it's giving you some extra, um, extra power to keep buying more. And so if you keep compounding that, you know, it, it's super powerful. It's unfortunately something that a lot of people don't know about, which is why I'm glad you invited me to share with your network because it's something people really need to know about. Yes. So how long does this process take? It's, you know, from beginning to end, our process is, you know, really because just our volume, um, we're the biggest cost company in the country, uh, working in all 50 states. So we have a huge volume of, of work coming in usually takes between six to eight weeks. Um, and that's including the engineers coming to the property, coming back, producing, uh, taking those findings, producing a report, uh, reviewing it. It always gets reviewed at least four times, you know, so we have an accounting team. Um, it does that and it gets back to you, which it, you know, produces this, you know, 80, 90, 100 page report, which is very detailed really what it does is produces an updated depreciation schedule, which is going to show your accountant what you actually need to take those numbers and just put that into the tax return. So it also gives you like a schedule of first year, second year, and so on. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So it, this has to be an effort that has to be coordinated definitely with your accountant, you know, because he's sure. going to be doing your taxes. 100%. Excellent. All right. Wow. This is, this is amazing information and I'm going to have to watch the video again and like go slowly to like sometimes it takes a little bit of time to understand you know certain <laughs> stuff so I'm going to have to go back and listen again but I think I think I understood everything expert tips you forgot to mention on your bio that you are a super linkedin uh contact you are on linkedin all the time and you know how to work it so i wanted you to give me three expert tips on how to maximize your presence in linkedin okay great so three tips let's see so i'd say you know each one of these three tips 
maybe broken down into a few <laughs> a few <Sure>. sub tips. <laughs> of sure. course. Um, but I'd say the three most important tips are number one, be active. Okay. So make sure you're on there and consistent. Number two, post. Post as often as you can. So if that's every day or you know a few times a week. And the third most important thing, which is probably the most important thing, is engage with your audience. Engage with those people who engage with your um, posts, which means like their comments, respond to their comments, like other people's posts, respond, you know, write great and engaging and thought-provoking comments on other people's posts actually, believe it or not, goes a lot further for your personal brand and for what LinkedIn can do for you than actually posting your own original content. So, so would you say that it's um, better to, to focus on one platform versus going to different platforms? Because you have limited time, right? So right. you don't have the time, I think, most people don't have the time to be super engaged on every single uh, platform. So I think in a way, it's probably better to just focus on one. So if you focus on LinkedIn or you focus on Facebook, um, depending on the um, on your goals, uh, you should probably focus on just one. What do you think about that? Um, if you're gonna be personally involved in it, which I truly believe is the only way to uh, really maximize the benefit of any social media platform is if you're actually personally involved in it and creating that community, then yes, I, I think you're right. One platform is really the way to go um, and put all your effort into that. However, it, there is still benefit in you know many platforms, obviously, trying to test out other things, test out other waters. There's definitely going to be different audiences in those different platforms. I mean, just think about what I just said. If you're just going in one platform, there's a lot of other people who are just in that platform, which means if you are, if you branch out to other platforms, there are people that you would have never met or never been in contact with that are just in those platforms. So I can, you know, there is benefit there, but you don't want it to get watered down. And unless you have a team and you have like virtual assistants and you have you know, you run a marketing firm, you know, like, like Gary Vee, you know, he's pushing all the time, like every social media platform and just put it out there and post it a hundred times a day across all platforms. Yeah. Cause he has a whole team of people right behind him that are, that are doing it for him and, you know, and helping you know, creating that content. So you, you can't spread yourself too thin because what you're ending up doing is, is not getting really any benefit from any platform. Yeah, I definitely participated uh, in one of your challenges and I could see the difference. Like before that challenge, I really didn't um, use LinkedIn at all. I created an account like 10 years ago, maybe 15 right. years ago when LinkedIn mm -hmm. started and I just put my bio there and, you know, every once in a while I get the happy birthday, happy anniversary and uh, somebody trying to hire me, but I really didn't um, use it at all until this year. And, you know, once I participated in your challenge, you know, I, you know, I see you there all the time, like your posts have a lot of engagement. And so, you know, I can see how you, you know, how to, to work on LinkedIn. It's amazing to see your posts and your engagement. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, you know, it just comes from just the experience and just, um, you know, trial and error. 
And like I said, the first thing, just consistency, you know, just being there every day, showing up and engaging with people. And it just, it kind of builds on itself. Absolutely. Yona, thank you so much for being with me on the show. I have so much to think about right now. And, uh, and I need to get that property analyzed and see if, if it will work for me. Uh, where can people find you? I, we know I, I mentioned LinkedIn, but where are other places where people can find you? That's the main place. You know, I'm on Facebook also, but, um, you know, if you want to find me, that's a bigger pocket. It's also a great platform, pretty active there. But, uh, yeah, LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Absolutely. If you go to LinkedIn, you are going to see Yona. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for taking the time. And bye-bye, everybody. Thank you, Annette. This was Deal Closers with Annette Talee, brought to you by Talee Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.taleeinvestments.com, where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.